the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. And uh, we have a lot to cover today, and it is amazing. Uh, don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, sign up there for the Daily Wink and all of these segments and interviews we have. Uh, you, uh, you can hear them all there. And um, it is... Um, well, watching the coverage, watching the coverage uh, of the debate is different than watching the debate, right? Um, and you know, the fact is that the uh, the um, the a lot of the coverage is saying the whole debate was a sham, a embarrassment. That's the headline uh, on Politico. But there's a couple of points I want you to take away, and uh, and I want you to think about these sort of what you need to know. Number one, it certainly was uh, choppy, and I said to someone it was a jarring debate but it was jarring in a certain direction and what do i mean by that well trump was trump many people had maybe have forgotten what he's like when he's debating he looked exactly like he was in 2016 he's constantly interrupting constantly using uh, quips and and pushing and pulling Biden looked weak, uh, but didn't look bad. I mean, he had certain points that he made well. And Chris Wallace was just in the middle of it. It was like a three-man debate. But here's the reality of this. This is what I want to tell you. This is what's so important. This is why it's so important, is what you got was a strong presence, Trump, a weak presence, Biden, and then everything in between was noise. Everything in between was noise, except this. When Biden said shut up to Trump, when Biden called him a clown, he descended down into what I can only say is the muck. And and what, what I mean by that is remember when like Marco Rubio started comparing, to asserting something about Donald Trump's anatomy based on his hand size. And it was and, and everyone said, oh, my gosh. And what happened was Trump has the ability to pull everybody down into the muck with him. Now, you may not like the muck, but Trump already knows that he, you can't win a a politically polite debate when all the media is against you, all the establishments against you and the Democrats are against you. So you got to get into a brawl. And if you want to get into a brawl, it's all, you know, anything goes, all, all possibilities are on the table. And that's what he did. And so here's the, here's the truth about that is that by pulling Biden down into it and making everybody say, ah, oh, what a mess that was. Trump has made it equal. And here's the example I'll give you. I have a friend of mine who did vote for uh, Joe, excuse me, did vote for Donald Trump in 2016, buddy of mine. And he, um, about four months ago, before any of the stories out of the Atlantic Monthly, but when the stories broke about uh, President Trump and James Mattis, the retired Marine general fighting, and Trump said Mattis is a loser and all, my friend texted me and said, I voted for Trump over Hillary because I didn't like her. I didn't think she was a good person. I was sick of it. But I'm so sick of Trump and this, he said this mean thing about Mattis. I can't vote for him. I'm voting for Biden. And I said, really? Biden's very liberal. Biden's not particularly this and that. And he said, that, I don't care. I'm just so sick of what I see. Okay. So then this morning, that same person texted me and my buddy, and he said, 
you know, I, I can't vote. I cannot vote for. Um, uh, I can't. I told you I couldn't vote for Trump. He said, but when I watch that debate, I can't vote for either of these guys. Now, here's what I want to tell you. This is what you need to know on this. When you can pull people back towards undecided, you have another chance to get them to vote for you. And so think about what I'm trying to say there is think about the dynamic that someone who was against Trump said, I'm against Biden, too, and got into the pool, got into the got into the uh, the uh, the area where he decided again. I guess what I'm saying is how many Trump supporters uh, left Trump last night? that said, I'm not going to vote for him based on how he acted. How many people? I, I don't know. Maybe some. How many independents came on and said, I'm not going to vote for Trump because I didn't like how he interrupted, but I liked what Biden did? Not many. It, my point is, Trump equalized the fight and got everybody to the same playing field. It's not some benign Democrat that nobody knows about. Now, it's a guy that's whining and saying, shut up, and makes the field sort of more equal. That's what I think he did, and that's what I think you're seeing. And so that's, that was a success, all right? I mean, that was, in a certain sense, a success. The second thing is, um, Biden exceeded expectations, which his expectations were so low. If he came out on stage, he could function, he exceeded expectations. And I think the Democrats think he did great. Now, the next debate, he's going to have to do great again. And what are the chances he does great again? Similarly, Trump came out and acted like a president. He didn't. And I think someone said last night on one of the shows I was on as a guest, they said a lot of presidents mess up their first debate because they think they can do everything well and they've not been told how mistake prone they are because they're president, right? Nobody tells the president too much. You know, no, not too many critics in your, in your life if you're president. A lot of things you do, everyone says, oh, that's great, boss. So I think there's some expectation that Trump will do better. But his expect- uh, the expectations of Trump were that he was interrupting and he was angry and he was surly and all this stuff. And his are down. The next debate, because of that, what I just described, flipped the dynamic on what you can expect. Okay. All right. And what you need to know, another thing is I went by the Capitol Hill Club. It's a Republican uh, clubhouse over on the other side of Capitol Hill from where my office is this morning. And I said to a congressman, very prominent, pretty senior Republican. I said, what do you think about Trump? He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you think about Trump's chances to win? And he said, oh, my gosh, Ed, he's, he's going to win North Carolina. The polling is going to win North Carolina. Florida's over. He's up. Uh, he's competitive in Arizona. He's competitive in Minnesota. He's competitive in New Mexico. And his point was, the, 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 may feel like the mainstream media and the chattering class saw something dramatic last night, but the direction of the election. Remember I told you, campaigns are about direction. There's a point where you're gaining momentum and you're picking up steam and you keep steaming. And that's what I think is happening. And that's what I think is happening. Now, a couple of pointers that I would say the president was not top shelf on, I think. I think he, I would have preferred that he spend more time on some of his core issues, immigration, uh, building the wall, um, seeking to uh, kind of get control of our of our immigration system in general, you know, making sure to contrast, you know, Joe Biden is for amnesty for the 20 plus million illegals. And I think he should have said that. I think that was a huge missed opportunity. I think the president didn't handle the questions about uh, white su- supremacy and uh, the Charlottesville fine people hoax. He should have stopped there and said, look, you're not telling the truth. He should have stopped the conversation and said, listen to me. I denounce all racists, white supremacists. I denounce. I denounce Black Lives Matter who are racist. I denounce all those racists. I will do it once. I'll do it twice. I'll do it 10 times. And instead, he sort of said, sure, I denounce them. And it got swallowed up in the debate and in the chaos. And it's what they're blaming the president. They're saying that was, that's the most uh, egregious thing. The other thing I thought, which was uh, troubling for the president, is if you're talking about healthcare, it's not a winning issue. The Democrats know this. So the very first question was about the Supreme Court, and Joe Biden was able to turn it into a question about healthcare. And if the the, the reason why the, de- the Republicans sh- shouldn't talk about healthcare is they didn't repeal Obamacare. And while the president has done some things on prescription drugs, on uh, some of the management of our healthcare system, running it better, as he said, it doesn't feel like a dramatic change because our healthcare system is a mess. Now it's mostly a mess because of Obamacare. But you don't get to claim it four years later when your party didn't fix it. So when the Democrats are picking uh, apart the, uh, picking up the issue of healthcare, they know they're in a winning direction. And that's why they're doing that. It's a very smart thing to do. It's a very clever um, uh, opportunity uh, for them. And they did that well. And the president didn't have a good answer. 
I also thought that by the end of the debate, we had sort of running out of steam, and, and the president sort of lost his chance. He talked about it, but it was so towards the end that I wish it had been earlier in terms of the voting irregularities and mail-in voting and the fraud. I thought that would have been better earlier. Now, he wasn't asked about it till the end, uh, but it kind of got lost in the shuffle. The debate started to kind of end. It was supposed to go for 90 minutes. It was about 95 minutes in when that question came up, and it sort of slipped through. I thought that would have been a better issue. But all in all, I don't think it changes a single voter. I don't think it changes anything. It's given the media a chance to complain that it was a terrible debate and it was not uh, presidential and all that kind of stuff. But again, Joe Biden went down into the into the uh, into the uh, into the um, um, into the uh, mud with the wrestler. And that's now where we are. And, you know, look, people may bemoan it. You may wish it was different. But the simple fact of the matter is when you're going to have one of these elections and President Trump is up against he's up against the Democrats. He's up against the establishment Republicans that don't want him to succeed. He's up against the swamp. He's up against all the media and he's up against big tech. It's like we the people and Trump versus all that. So forgive him if he's just going to street fight because that's what he knows what to do and he knows that will get attention and it will be directionally. And I can tell you, out of the White House today, I got an email, not one of the blast emails, but an email from somebody who works in the White House. They weren't unhappy. A few things they would have done better. I mentioned answering the the superiority, uh, white supremacist question. They would have done that better, I think. But in general, they got out the, the Hunter Biden stuff. They also got out, and they were very happy about this, uh, the, the, um, the kind of incoherence of Biden's positions when it comes to uh, the Green New Deal and some of the liberal priorities. He basically... Uh, between saying AOC and the Green New Deal was off base, but also uh, uh, kind of um, uh, not going. He said, it's my Democratic Party. I'm the Democratic Party these days. And uh, he was not basically going to give any of the positions on the left any real um, any real traction. So, you know, I wonder myself about whether the left in the Democrat Party really cares. Would they actually be able to uh, sort of mount a frustration with him? I just don't believe it. I think they hate Trump so much that they will uh, be stepping, you know, they'll be stepping out for him no matter what. But maybe uh, amongst the base, you know, amongst the grassroots on the left, maybe people will think, well, Trump, uh, excuse me, Biden wasn't supportive. He was throwing us under the bus. I was kind of telling, he said, uh, I beat uh, Bernie Sanders and Trump said, not by much. And he said, I beat him really badly or something. And you wonder if the Bernie bros will not like hearing that kind of talk. So um, it was kind of interesting to watch that happen, too. Um, so we'll see. Anyway, that's all I've got. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk with John Schlafly, get an update on uh, what he his column this week, the Schlafly Report, and a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, make sure to go to ProAmericaReport.com and tune in. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is John Schlafly. It's uh, John Schlafly. Time for the Schlafly Report. The Schlafly Report publishes each Tuesday evening at townhall.com. Uh, John and his brother Andy do the column. And it, um, well, it's a timely column. I thought especially we'll talk with John about the debate also. But uh, it's an important issue he took up in this column. And one that I, I hate to say, John, I feel like is not getting covered enough. I know it's getting some attention, but covering the issue and what's happening in the system. So tell us about the column and the topic. Um, Well, hello, Ed. Good to be with you today. Um, uh, The column was about uh, some of the, uh, you know, 
really troubling court decisions that have been issued by lower court judges, mostly Obama judges, that affect the running of the election. Uh, you know, federal courts around the country, there's about half a dozen of them at least, which have issued orders changing the rules at the last minute for how the, this election will be conducted. Now, the Supreme Court has said in a famous case called Purcell that courts should not do that, but they are doing it. And uh, they have one of the things they've done is to extend the deadline by which uh, mail-in ballots or absentee ballots must be received. In many states, uh, those ballots have to be you know received by the election officials by election day, which is perfectly reasonable. But um, one court said they can come in as late as three days, another one said six days, and another one said ten days. After election day, the ballots can come in. Now, now supposedly, there would be a postmark where you could verify that it could be ma- mailed by election day, but postmarks are often not on the envelopes, they're often not legible. Some courts have said that they need to be counted even without a postmark. Uh, so there's a lot of, um, well, potentially really uh, big fights after the election takes place. And the president referred to that in the very last couple of minutes of the debate. And, and uh, he warned that there's... Uh, that the election might not be reliable because of all of these things that were happening. And the ballots have turned up in uh, places they shouldn't be. The, you know, so um, there, there's a concern about this, Ed, a big concern. Well, John, we're talking with John Schlafly. And uh, John, and we're actually together here in the Phyllis Schlafly Center in Washington, D.C., as we're doing the show. And, John, um, I just got a, a text from one of our listeners. Um, we know people listen at TheAnswerSanDiego.com online. And uh, one of our listeners is in uh, Pettis County, Missouri, which is where Sedalia is. She just the, the news there is reporting that 1,200 absentee ballots were found that had been missing. They're uh, blank. In other words, they could be filled in by someone and voted. But, but you know, we all know absentee ballots. It's important for people to say the president had a different phrase last night. He said requested ballots, I think, where, you know, people request a ballot. It's mailed to them. They, they fill it out and send it back. That's absentee ballots. It's been going on forever. In a couple of states, I think maybe up to five states, they have done mail-in ballots where people just vote by mailing in their ballot. They've done it. They've run the traps. It's relatively effective. But in about 20 other states now, they're mailing millions of ballots and they're making it up as they go along. And I guess, John, when you read when I read your column, one of the things about your column that's important is is that the title, by the way, is called Judges on a Rampage Against Trump. Uh, Andy, Andy and John Schlafly uh, posted over again at townhall.com as well as over at uh, phyllisschlafly.com archived. But, John, um, the. The, the judges are intervening to set the rules and the rules just keep moving. We're going to have some ballot. You can cast your ballot on election day or you can cast it so that if it arrives within 10 days or a week or whatever, I, I guess my first question is, how can you run an election system like this? But then secondarily, what's going to happen? I mean, what's the chaos going to look like? Well, we can't run an election this w- this way. And there's... um and aside from allowing ballots to come in to the polling place after election day, which should not be allowed. I mean, any ballots, if ballots don't arrive by election day, they should be thrown out. But then they've also had courts saying that states cannot enforce signature requirements. You know, when a ballot comes in, they're supposed to match the signature on the ballot envelope. Right. That's the outer envelope to the signature on file. And. And um, and so then there's another provision that if, if signatures, if there's a mistake or signatures can't be matched, does the voter have an opportunity to be notified and come in and fix it? Well, of course, there's not enough time to do that after the election. But uh, a judge, I think, in Arizona has ruled that the states have to allow the voter to do that. So this is a recipe for a complete fiasco. And um, there's going to be an issue, I think, in some states where the state legislature may say, well, if we don't have the results of the voters, then under the U.S. Constitution, the state legislature has the power to step in and declare how that state's electoral votes will be cast. Now, that has never been done before, but it could happen. It was talked about in 2000, and there's a potential of that happening again this year. 
So, John, we, we have in the article in, the, in your column with uh, Andy Schlafly, you refer to the fact that uh, the um, judges are getting involved, right? So the judges are, if, if the legislatures didn't necessarily put all the details on how to do this. And so we have Obama judges that are getting involved at Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, Louisiana, South Carolina, that Obama appointed judges have now ordered election officials. I'm reading from this column by John and, and Andy Schlafly to accept and count ballots that arrive after the deadline establishing established by state laws. So my first question is, I got to think that uh, Republicans in those states are going to appeal. Do you have much confidence that appeals can happen fast? The election's less than five weeks away. Second thing is, if you can appeal, and this is what's going on, what what do you think, what are you hearing that people can do to try to fight off what is, again, it's not just looking chaotic and fraudulent, it's looking like insane and, you know, sort of like, like a, a failed election. Well, the first thing is for... Everyone who is listening, if you can uh, vote in person or uh, either on Election Day or if if your state allows early voting. And I really don't like early voting, but you, if you vote in person or if you have a mail ballot, if you take your ballot to the polling place and deliver it to the polling place, I would not rely on the mail to cast your ballot. And uh so that's number one, at least for your listeners or anyone who's li- anyone uh, else who is within yours, um, uh, within, <laughs> within the people you can influence. But as far as what else we can do, yes, there are dozens and dozens of lawsuits pending. Uh, there, there are teams of Republican lawyers who are trying to appeal these decisions. But, you know, that is not a guaranteed outcome either, because the appeal has to be expedited. It has to be on an emergency basis. I know of one appeal right now that has been submitted to the United States Supreme Court, which doesn't have to take any case it, unless they want to. And the Supreme Court, as we all know, is shorthanded right now with uh, with a vacancy. Uh, then there are cases, other cases going to the federal courts of appeals and some to the state Supreme Courts. Uh some of those courts are uh, have a Democrat majority. Some have a Republican majority. And that will play into how the courts respond to these appeals. John, what do you do if you're, you know, if your voters in these states and one of the appeals uh, courts does not rule to allow uh, the changeover and you're stuck with a situation where um, this is going forward? I mean, what kinds of things? I know the president's asked for more poll watchers. We've talked to everybody. It just it feels like the the nation is watching a freight train bearing down on us and there's not much you can do to get out of the way of the train. Well, every state and maybe even every county is different in terms of uh, what the rules are, what the names of the officials are, and the ability of uh, the average citizen or the political party to participate or watch what's going on. But all of our elections are run on the assumption that both parties have the opportunity to watch every step of the way. And so... Get in contact with your party in your locality and ask, how can I help? Uh, call your local supervisor of elections or county clerk or whatever it's called and say that you want to participate and watch the counting of the ballots. And how can you do that? 
All right, John Schlafly. Will, well, let me get one. Uh, let me get a couple more minutes with you. I'll go over because I want to ask you about the debate. You watched the debate. Um, uh, your observations on the debate, on what it means, if it means anything, and where we're going forward at this point. Um, well, as you know, Ed, there was a, there was a lot of uh, talking over each other, and uh, e- listeners didn't hear everything that was said. I thought uh, Trump's best line to Joe Biden was to say. I've done more in 47 months than you've done in 47 years in Washington. Well, that sounds about right, John. I mean, I think that is the question. Get involved. Find your way into that uh, into the uh, poll watchers program and just um, see what you can do. You know, you've got to figure out how you can contribute there. So thank you, John Schlafly. His column, of course, is always available over at townhall.com, townhall.com. And uh, also the archives of it every uh, week going back for uh, months and months and months, a couple of years since he and Andy Schlafly started doing it, is available over on uh, phyllisschlafly.com where it's all archived. Uh, there and so check that out there okay Um, you know later on I'm going to take up this issue of mail-in balloting versus absentee balloting I'm going to give you my best uh, advice and good counsel on the question of fraud and all I'm going to tell some stories about my time at the election board I think the segment will be important I'm going to do it in a way that it can be a standalone segment you can go back to and refer to because I want to walk you through how voter fraud happens how it's possible maybe that's a better phrase and what you can do uh, to address it, how you can uh, kind of put uh, people on notice and what can be done about it, because it's kind of a both and. You've got to be willing to recognize it exists, and then you've got to be willing to come up with some strategies uh, to fight it. And so... um I appreciate that perspective from John Schlafly. As always, uh, again, the Schlafly Report available over at townhall.com and phyllisschlafly.com. All right, we'll take a break. Don't forget, go to proamericareport.com, sign up for the Daily Wink, as well as um, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report of The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be back. And this, you know, this subject, I did a TV interview earlier today and I watched and I wasn't surprised when in a moment or two moments, three moments into it, the Democrats said, President Trump wants chaos. He thinks chaos benefits him. And I said, so I went back and I said at the end, I said, I'm after a person ranted at the end of the rant. I said, well, isn't it the Democrats and the liberals that want the mail-in ballots? Isn't that the single biggest, you know, chaos-creating thing? Said, no, it's not. We have had mail-in ballots for years. Of course, it's true we have had mail-in ballots for years in certain places and small numbers, not built tens of millions of, of ballots. But we needed to get to the bottom of this. So our, our old friend Hans von Spakovsky, who is over at Heritage Foundation, he's the elect, at the Election Law Reform Initiative and also the, a senior legal fellow, wears a bunch of hats over there and has a piece a couple of weeks ago now on uh, chaos for November's election. I don't know, Hans, if you were the one <laughs> that used it first. The Democrats, I think, think it works against the president. But, well, first of all, welcome, Hans. How are you? I'm doing just great, Ed. So chaos in November. I mean, you, you, you know, your background, you were at the FEC, you've, uh, you've been, a, a, you know, litigated and constitutional attorney. What, what's your worst case scenario for, for November? Uh, my worst case scenario is uh, a repeat of what happened in New York's primary. Um, New York election officials unwisely try to convince everybody to vote through the absentee balloting or mail-in balloting process. So they had a huge increase in mail-in ballots. And the result was, first of all, it took them six weeks to count the ballot because election officials just weren't uh, weren't able to handle it. And second, um, 
they had huge numbers of ballots rejected by election officials, one in five, if you can believe it, a 20 percent disenfranchisement hmm. rate. And the reason for it was people make mistakes with absentee ballots. And it's everything from forgetting to sign the ballot to not uh, giving all the information that you, you have to fill out when you send back an absentee ballot to the Postal Service not delivering the ballot in time. And so I can see, uh, one, a huge delay in counting all those mail-in ballots, and two, litigation after the election over ballots that got rejected by election officials. Again, that's what happened in New York. We're talking with Hans von Spakowski. I mean, color me, um, color me, uh, you know, kind of a conspiracy theorist here. But um, here's one thing that's now clearly happening. And, and I think this is not un, not unintentional. Therefore, it's intentional. Uh, a whole bunch of people are filling out mail in ballots for the first time and doing it incorrectly. And then there are norms right. and standards and laws and they're being struck. And so now people are complaining, mostly the Democrats now saying, oh, boy, maybe we should vote in person. Aren't we creating a situation where some people are going to be intentionally voting in person? They've already voted mail in. I mean, and we're never going to catch up. I mean, it, it, it's not like President Trump rolled out a series of of initiatives to do this. It was the Democrats that have sought to do it right. and not in a small way. They haven't done a test in, in you know, Mahungahelan County. They've done all of California, right? Yeah, no, they've been all over the country in every state either trying to convince friendly election officials and friendly Democratic governors and others to say, hey, let's switch an all-mail election, or they have filed lawsuits to try to force it. And, I mean, a typical, an example of this, I can just give you very quickly, is, is they filed a lawsuit in North Carolina to get rid of the security protocols that go with absentee ballots such as eliminating a witness signature requirement. And guess what happened? Um, the Democratic uh, officials in the state, including the Democratic attorney general, said, oh, sure, we'll override state law. We'll agree to that. And basically, they entered into a consent decree that said, yep, we'll get rid of uh, things like witness uh, requirements. Oh, and by the way, we'll also agree to get rid of our ban on vote harvesting, allowing strangers to pick up ballots. So, Hans, um, what do we do about it? I mean, I've, we've had people on and we've had, um, you know, experts and they say, look, you got to vote. Obviously, you got to go in, in person or how are you going to do it? Take care of that. And then you have to get participate as poll workers. You have to get ready to do that. But it kind of feels like we're sitting here watching the train picking up speed, headed down the track. And you can see the track is, you know, is, is broken down the way. And you're thinking, well, um, yeah, this is going here. We can kind of stay on the track. And OK, I mean, what, what are we are we just going to have to deal with this? Yeah, we are. I mean, th there's two main things. One, we need to convince as many people as possible to vote in person. And the people all over the country need to be calling their local county election officials and say, hey, you, you need to have my polling place open. I demand the right to be able to vote in person so that they won't shut down the polling places. But second, look, the, we, they, we have to be prepared to litigate after the election to prevent things like Folks coming in and saying, oh, well, all those absentee ballots you rejected because they were missing signatures or the signatures didn't match or they came in late. Uh, they're going to come in and say, oh, you've got to count those anyway. And, and we've got to oppose that because that's a way of, of uh, uh, reaching the integrity of the election process. 
Yeah, and so on election night in three or four jurisdictions, even if one candidate, say Trump wins, you know, going away, in three or four jurisdictions, you're going to have uh, counting for two weeks, three weeks, and you're going to have people litigating saying you disenfranchise people, and you're going to have the media cover just that story. Because as you know, Hans, and this is what I tell people, if you run an election, and I ran the St. Louis City Board of Elections for a couple years, you realize it's really hard work, and you have to work hard at both getting the job done, because it's tough to do, and making people feel confident. But there will always be some mistakes and some fraud. In fact, it is fraud. People will vote in the wrong place. They'll Someone in the polling place will say, well, just take this ballot. That is fraud. It may not rise to the level of jail time, but there's always going to be snippets of fraud, you know, cases of fraud. And so if you shine a, 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 a magnifying glass on America for about 12 weeks from the time Trump wins until the election day, I mean, until the inauguration day, and say, oh, disenfranchised voters, people left behind, which is exactly what the media wants to do, something to make people crazy. Frankly, it'll work. Won't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it will, particularly when we get stories uh, uh, just within the last two weeks. The attorney general of Texas has just filed 134 felony counts against several folks <laughs> in uh, Texas for absentee ballot fraud. And, you know, the Georgia secretary of state just announced he found a thousand people who in their June primary voted by absentee ballot. And then guess what? Went to their polling place and voted again. Yeah. And and so uh, back to what can we do? Another thing, you know, you learned you were in a position of uh, election sort of authority, FEC, and I did. You talk about it a lot. One of the reasons you you talk about it is to get to get people aware of it in a way that will help make it stop, but also get them used to what the problems are and, and maybe addressing it or at least being aware of it. In this case... Maybe that's going to work. I mean, I do think it's important that everybody's been learning about mail-in ballots, and now that now there really are problems with it, maybe people will see the problem. But uh, it, it just feels like we're headed towards a nightmare scenario, and there's not much you can do to change the trajectory. Look, I think that is potentially <clears throat> true. I hope it's not. But one thing along those lines that's positive is, you know, back in March and April, the polling showed that a majority of people thought, oh, yeah, voting by mail, that'll be great. There's no problems. Many of the polls now show that that has switched. The majority of people are now saying, oh, wait a minute. Now I realize that's probably not a good idea. So talking about it, like you say, it is having an effect and is educating the public about it. All right, Hans, I would be remiss because I often think of asking you legal questions. And as an observer of the federal government up close, do you have a reaction to the latest uh, Flynn stuff? I know it's not, you know, we're working on the elections and all, but you're a lawyer. You've been in the midst of this. The the newest revelations, you must, like me, read the paper and read the details and just shake your head thinking this can't be happening. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the latest just emphasizes what we have known all along, but this is just more evidence of it that the investigation uh, of Flynn was totally bogus. There was no evidence whatsoever that he had uh, broken the law. And in fact, it was a politically partisan witch hunt by individuals in the Obama administration to try to get uh, uh, President Trump's new national security advisor. And, And the fact that the FBI participated in that is just shocking and should shock everyone. It really is. It really is. All right. Hans von Spakowski, thank you for your time, as always, over at Heritage Foundation. He's writing regularly and frequently. It's always worth reading, whether it's on uh, foxnews.com or other places. Thanks, Hans.
Thanks for having me. All right, we'll have. I'm guarantee we'll have Hans back on as we get close to the election. He's the best at understanding what's happening and where we're headed. So, although I, even he sounds like me sometimes, it's just some of these things we're going to face, and we just got to get ready for him. So, okay, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast launched by Phyllis Schlafly, who served as an articulate voice for traditional values for more than seventy years. Upholding that legacy and himself an author, national speaker, and attorney, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Foreign Policy Magazine isn't exactly known for its unbiased reporting. They're the kind of fake news President Trump is always talking about. And it'd be bad enough if they leaned in favor of American liberals, but the truth is so much worse. The magazine actively provides cover for human rights abusers like the country of Qatar. In July, Foreign Policy partnered with the Embassy of the State of Qatar for a webinar on the topic, The Role of Female Leadership in Driving Global Recovery and Resilience. To anyone who knows anything about Qatar, this is unbelievable. Qatar is widely known for its extensive human rights abuses. They've been criticized repeatedly by Amnesty International, which cited family law discrimination against women, as well as inadequate protections from violence, including family violence. Qatar is also a major financier of Islamic terrorism throughout the globe. In short, these are the last people you'd want to talk to about how women should be treated in leadership. It makes about as much sense as having the mayor of Chicago talk about how to reduce crime. Partnering with Qatar for this webinar wasn't just poor judgment on the part of Foreign Policy magazine. It was downright dangerous. Human rights abusers are willing to pay outrageous sums of money to favorably skew their perception on the world stage. If the news media makes a bad nation look good, nations like ours are more likely to give foreign aid to these bad actors. Paying off a few news outlets to spread propaganda is just an investment strategy to nations like that. Political corruption of the mainstream media doesn't end at our nation's borders. There's a reason foreign policy refuses to answer questions about possible financial contributions from Qatar. President Trump is right to call biased news outlets the enemy of the people. They actively work on behalf of foreign governments against the truth and against the interests of the American people. True patriots need to wake up and reject fake news now. We should not tolerate propaganda from a human rights abuser masquerading as journalism. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And I need to tell you, this is a great story, one that I've been looking forward to talking more about. And it dovetails into last night's debate. So this is a story, uh, this this story I want to talk about, the issue I want to talk about is immigration, open borders, the mindset of, of a certain um, group of people, so-called experts and others. So I tell you that I read the New York Times. I read the New York Times to see what uh, the other side, the left, is doing and see their strategy because they they are so blatantly against uh, we the people in this country. And there was a piece that ran in the New York Times earlier today. I believe it was today. um, And the the title of it was called, uh, the title was Ski Party 
ski party seed a pandemic. The travel rules that left COVID nine that let COVID nineteen take flight, and that the headline, amazingly, the subheadline is the World Health Organization said open borders would help fight disease. Experts and, and a global treaty emphatically agreed, but the scientific scientific evidence was never behind them. So this story goes on to lay out how Austria had a bunch of people visit to go uh, for a ski weekend, and then they disseminated, they went back out into their home countries, and there were simply, there were just uh, about, uh, I think it was 40, maybe maybe a little bit more than 40 uh, people who came to this village in Austria as a getaway for the skiing, and then they went back to their countries, and they spread the disease all over. And some of them went to the United States, some went back to London, one went to Hamburg, uh, all across the country. It was a small number of people, but it basically spread the disease. Now, remember, the, the, before, you know, the last hundred years, when you think about these diseases and you look at the studies about them, they spread based on foot travel and horseback travel. And maybe at some point in the 1800s, some of the diseases spread by train travel and others. But, you know, in history, you read back to the big plagues, they were all spread by on foot and by animals and all. In this case, it was spread by uh, these people that came together into this um, into this village, and they were skiing there. Now, the the fun part of this is that the story goes on to basically criticize the international community for naively thinking that you can sort of just allow open borders and you know nothing else will happen. You know, it'll work out. And here's the. Um, Here's the fun, uh, another fun detail. Um, the president has have staked a lot of his um, argument on, uh, you know, how he did on this, uh, on the pandemic, on, you know, closing the border. And he did get a ton of criticism at the time by people who said, oh, you know, you can't do that. It's bigoted. Um, Joe Biden said it's xenophobic uh, and all that. Turns out he was right. So one thing I did want to point to, there was not a good discussion, not a, not a serious discussion on, um, uh, on the, uh, at the debate last night on the immigration question, on issues around immigration and on uh, issues around uh, sovereignty and the border. I was surprised at that. I kind of expected that there would be something in that and that there would be um, uh, more of a, uh, uh, an emphasis, at least President Trump would bring it by, in, if only because the one issue that Biden is vulnerable on is amnesty. Uh, Biden has said he was for amnesty for illegal aliens, and Trump, of course, is against that. But more specifically, can you believe how far we've come? Just in the last four years, because of this president's uh, approach to this, we now have this critical eye on the issues surrounding uh, sovereignty and the border and all the rest of this, and it's really striking to see, and it's really good. It's really good because you can work, you can work out, you can work outwards from a policy that says, "Hey, we have a border." Then we say, "Who do we let in?" You can't work inwards to say the the border's open. How do we figure out who's in here and do something about them? And the best example is disease, of course, because it's so clear, you know, from a virus. But there's plenty of other examples. I would submit to you that Islamic jihadist fundamentalism is a kind of virus. It's an idea, but it's an idea virus, you know, a virus that's uh, something that people get in. A, and, and there are certain countries where you, uh, you, be, you would have a situation where people are exposed to that uh, teaching, that ideology, that brainwashing. And you would want to say, yeah, I don't want to let them in. I don't want to let those. I don't want to risk the chance that they would bring that disease into our country. And so, therefore, we're going to stop travel there. I think intuitively, most, I think most Americans believe that by intuition. 
they don't have to think it through. They don't have to see the evidence. They just can say, yep, I definitely agree with that. I think that does make sense. And, uh, and that's a huge amount of progress. That's a huge amount of um, a huge uh, movement uh, forward. Here's one last thing about this. I disagree completely with Joe Biden last night when he said that the um, Antifa is an idea. It's an organization. It's a terrorist organization. It's a it's a poorly named and ironically named organization called Antifa because it's not anti-fascist. It's anti-American. But isn't it true that whatever it is that spawns people that believe in that, we want to have less of? Now, if you think that's mind control, maybe... But I think what I what, what I think about is whatever we're teaching kids that they can go for that and fall for the Antifa ideology, I think we want to adjust that. I think we want to make that different. I think we want to think I think we want to say to ourselves, what could we do to eliminate that? I'm not sure that you can. We have American citizens that are involved. You can't expel, you know, <laughs> throw people out. It's in the modern and the modern um, nation state doesn't allow you to expel people and say, oh, you're not welcome here anymore. Uh, but I, I think we want to talk about what it is that's getting people to think like that, because whatever it is, just like I said about having a virus at a ski party or having a um, uh, a virus of a Islamic uh, jihadist, whatever the whatever the um, reality that gets people to believe in that stuff, that's a good. Um, that's a good thing to adjust our uh, mindset and adjust our approach. And I think that's what people are actually starting to demand that now in America. They see it as necessary to have that kind of judgment as, as a president, um, not something that you would just consider. Uh, well, let's see how that turns out. It's, it seems like what people want. So there you have it. All right. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, uh, Noah, for all his help. Uh, we had a messy, I had a messy late night last night doing the show, the debate show, and um, had to clean it all up, and Noah did that. Um, so I appreciate him very much and Joanna for helping book the show. We will be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin. Actually, tomorrow night I'm pre- we're preempted by football. So a day off tomorrow, we'll back Friday night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.